This is Attack of the 20th Century. Thank you for joining us as we explore science fiction, fantasy, and horror films of the 20th century. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your other host, Kim. Welcome to episode 39. We are reviewing the Hammer film, The Mummy, from 1959. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Attack of the 20th Century. That's 20TH. We post our next movie selection there. You can comment, give your thoughts, and they just might make it on the air. So it's been a little while since we've done our last podcast, so it feels good to be back doing a podcast with you, babe. Yeah, it is good. It's been a while. Yeah. As you know, we were going to leave the country and go to Iceland. We did do that. And that was quite the experience. It was amazing. What did you like most about Iceland? Oh, this is such a hard question to answer. I I mean, you've asked me this. The kids have asked me this. Other people have asked me this. I say everything. Like, I, it's just a totally different... Obviously, we live in Florida. So, completely different climate. Completely different landscape, ecology, yeah. people group. I mean, just... Uh, it was fantastic. I keep telling people, um, especially like the students that I work with, like everywhere you looked, it was like a Tolkien landscape. So, if you're a... Brit Lit fan, you love some J.R.R. Tolkien. I felt like, you know, we sometimes you felt like you were in Mordor. Sometimes yeah. you felt like you were in Lothlorien. Like, you know, it's just a fantastical landscape. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've said the same thing. It's like sensory overload wherever you look. And you can uh, be staring at lava fields mm-hmm. that are covered with flowers and stuff. It just looks like a, you know, different planet. Yeah. You can go down the road 10 minutes and see, uh, you know, huge mountains with ice caps at the top. Yeah, right? glaciers. We saw glaciers. We saw glaciers. We saw icebergs floating in water. We yeah. Saw, but then some beautiful greenery too, right? Yeah. And then there's this lush green color that's literally growing out of lava rock. It's not yeah. like, I don't even, I mean, there are farms, but mostly it's livestock, right? There's mm-hmm. sheep everywhere. There are literally more sheep in Iceland than there are people, yeah. which is just fun to think about. And then the Icelandic horses or ponies, we called them ponies, the emo <laughs> ponies, they have like this fringy bang, bangs, yeah, you know, yeah. their manes hang in their face. So cool. But yeah, so I, I mean, I don't think they grow a lot of things because the ground is literally hardened lava. Yeah. But yet you have all this green lushness growing out of it in places. But then there are other places that you could have literally been on the moon. Like, yeah. you know, again, you drive 10 more minutes and it's just a barren landscape of lava and no greenery. And you're like, what are, what are we on the moon now? I don't right. know. Right. And waterfalls. Like, if Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes, Iceland is the land of 1 billion waterfalls. Yes. Because they are... <laughs> Everywhere. And they're all incredible. Like, no, I love water of any kind, anyhow, running water, still water, whatever. Mm-hmm. But waterfalls, oh my gosh, just magical everywhere you look. As far as what we've been watching lately, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, Soylent Green was a movie that we were going to review mm-hmm. that actually we've done a pivot and decided <laughs> to do The Mummy instead. Uh, we won't talk too much about Soylent Green because we will do that review in the future, I believe. Okay. But another movie that is maybe a year or two old, it's called Old. It's it's that recent. It's that recent, yeah. I didn't realize that. I want to say it came out in 2021. But uh, M. Night Shalaman. <laughs> I don't know. He's M. Night Shalaman, Shalaman. I don't know. 
<laughs> you know the guy. He did the village. <laughs> village, six cents. He's done several things, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's probably what put him on the map, right? Was six cents. Oh, yeah. That was that. Uh, and so. Unbreakable was big. The, oh, yeah. He's done a lot of really good yeah. things. We particularly love Lady in the Water. He yes. Lady in the Water. Yeah, that is definitely an unpopular choice. But yeah, we like that one. But we like to do unpopular <laughs> things. Um, you watched some of this movie with me, but you know, uh, I say I watched eighty-five to ninety percent of this movie. Okay, <clears throat> so if you've seen the trailer, they they give away pretty much most of the movie in the trailer, oh. and so. Uh, family goes to a resort and then they go to this beach while they're on the beach. Everybody starts mysteriously aging at a incredibly fast Super rate. Super rapid pace. Yeah. So the whole time you're wondering what's going on, what's going on. And right. I would say that's probably like the bulk of the movie. For sure. And then there's a twist. There's always a twist. There's some sort of twist and I won't do spoilers for this film, but okay. you know, I will say as far as did I like it or not, uh, I was definitely intrigued and wondering what's happening. I liked what they were doing with the visuals mm-hmm. and some of the the dialogue. I appreciated. I think the relational aspects I appreciated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, this was an incredibly depressing movie. Though. It was. You it know? was. That's why I dipped out on it for a good 15% of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> there, like you said, I think there's some really true to life relational depictions and something had just had a breakthrough. There was a couple that had a breakthrough. I'm trying to say this and not give spoilers. Um, that was so tender. And then something so erratic and drastic happened right after it that I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> so yeah. I had to leave the room for a little while. I did come back and watch the very end. But the storyline I am intrigued by, it was very, because mm-hmm. I I don't know, I was piddling around doing something else and you started watching it and I immediately was kind of like, huh? Because, you know, sometimes I go off and do my own thing yeah. if I need yeah. to do other <laughs> stuff. But I was drawn in, like I couldn't walk away from it because the storyline is very... You know, I don't know. It was grabbing my... Yeah, it's very compelling. Exactly. So, um, so that was a good thing about it. Yeah. But there are some hard things to watch happen. And particularly, I think, as parents, because you've already... This isn't a spoiler. You've already said, you know, these people are like stuck on this beach and, and everyone's aging rapidly. Well, some of those people on the beach start out with like a toddler or a preschooler mm-hmm. and the others have like preteens and an early teen daughter and their kids are like, you know, I may even get weepy talking about this because their yeah. kids are literally they aging grow, yeah, before them. You know, saying they grow up so fast. And, and I will say <laughs> it was smart filming. I know, right? They grow up so it was smart filming because they're I think in that adolescent period, you go through such a rapid change. It's just like watching an infant go from an infant to a preschooler. So much changes in such a small yeah. amount of time. And the same thing in that adolescent to teenage to early adulthood. Mm-hmm. Whereas the middle-aged folks, like you're noticing that they're aging. And if they have something else going on, there might be an indicator that they're aging. But it's not the drastic rapid change. And they're all aging at the same rate. Yeah. But because in real life, I mean, you go through such huge physical changes in that right. those younger years that you don't, it's not quite as drastic physically. Yeah. When you're already an adult and you're just aging, right. you know. <clears throat> um, so I, it was very smartly done. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, just in real life, what gets me kind of emotional is thinking about my kids aging. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, or our parents aging and, mm-hmm. you know, and the the kind of that loss 
of the you know youth or loss of life mm-hmm. in those two cases I pointed out. And so, but you're seeing it at such a rapid pace. And I guess I was a little naive, you know, I was thinking of like the movie Click. You oh, know? yeah, yeah. Adam Sandler. Yeah, Adam Sandler's got the remote control and it's the same kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know, where you're, you're going through life so quickly and there's a great sadness, but there's a difference. And if you want to hit forward for 30 seconds on this, <laughs> just a little tiny spoiler here. And that is that, like, they can't undo it like they do in Click. Yeah, and Click, Click, he gets a reprieve, right? Yeah, he can go back in time or do, like, a rewind-type situation. Like, he gets to resolve that in the end, whereas this movie has no resolve like that. Right, yeah. Yeah. These kids are grown, and that's that. Whatever you lost, you lost. Yeah. But it was well done. I do think it's, you know, if you don't mind kind of a downer of a film... Uh, and want to watch something that's interesting. I think it's compelling in the way a Twilight yes. Zone episode is compelling. Yeah, it, it did feel very like modern Twilight Zone. And it, it is sci-fi. So for those of you that are sci-fi, I mean, there is definitely yeah. a sci-fi element or at least a science element. Yeah. 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 A fantasy too, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of fantasy, we've also watched all the episodes of Amazon series The Rings of Power. Yes, we did. Speaking of Tolkien, as I mentioned him earlier. <laughs> so, if you haven't picked up on this, Kim is a huge Tolkien fan and yes, I am. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is one of her favorites, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in this genre of fantasy, yeah, you know, kind of sci-fi type uh, world. That's like her top. Fantasy top- is my, yeah. Yeah. So what did you think of this show as compared to the movies? Was it well done? Did you enjoy it? Well, okay, let's start cinematically. Let's let's talk about we talk about grows and glows in my uh homeschool class that I teach. So I'm going to say the the glows first, which are things that I think they really got right. Obviously, they had a mega huge budget, like doubled anything that's ever been spent on a series before. And I think the the winner of that prize used to be Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And I and I believe, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I think Amazon yeah. doubled that budget to make this. So it should have been cinematically impressive. And I yeah. think it was. Um, I mean, it, beautiful vistas, the colors are very saturated, the the different, you know, if you're if you're into Tolkien, you know he likes to create worlds mm-hmm. and lands and tribes and people groups. Um, and they did a good job of really um, distinguishing each of those things for each of the different people groups we see in the story. Um, and it's beautifully done. Uh, and for the most part, I can't think of any special effects that I thought, eh, you know, it's all special effects are all computer generated, which yeah. sometimes I can be a little crabby about that, but I haven't seen anything that really was like, eh, I didn't like that. Yeah. You know, special effects. With a wise. lot of CGI uh, in the year that it's made, it looks it's great. pretty good. Exactly. And then. Especially well, with the money they spent on it, it should look fantastic right now. Right. You know, in five years, two years, 10 years, who knows? And the other thing that we always preach is if it's organic material. Yeah. You know, it looks bad, but they used it for mostly backgrounds. Right, and, exactly. Things like fire and smoke yeah. and whatever. Huge stars blowing up and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. stuff that's not you know it doesn't suffer from CGI too badly. Um, yeah, and gosh, what else can I say as a glow? Like I have, I don't hate it by mm-hmm. any means. I'm still, I feel like I'm still waiting for the payoff though like yeah it was very slow storytelling which i normally am a fan of mm-hmm. um but i 
I need to be able to latch on to some characters or a plot line or something. And nothing has really grabbed at my heartstrings or, or anything at this point. Like, and I've always loved the character Galadriel. She's like one of my favorites from the Tolkien story and stories. And I don't, like I, I, she's probably my favorite out of this series right now, but I'm still, I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel like there's been a huge attachment there yet. Yeah. I don't know if they needed to have her be the lead. Yeah. I think what, why she works in Lord of the Rings is she's a great complimentary piece to the, like, uh, the hobbits, right. which are chock full of personality. Yes. And so she's, a like a lot of the elves, they're she's a little dry. ethereal and aloof and yeah. like you know, uber intelligent, but unattached, you know, or you have these very earthy, you know, but like you said, chock full of personality hobbits there, but I don't, she's, I guess she's an adolescent elf basically because they're, because <laughs> they do live for centuries. Right. Yeah. So maybe that's it. And I, I'm just not used to that because of my knowledge of the yeah. actual stories that exist. Uh, I really liked her. I think it's just, they needed some better characters around her, even though I thought like uh, Elrond did a good job. That actor, he has, yeah, he has done a, the, a good job. The dwarf, I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, Durin, Durin? Is, is the character he's playing. I do like, yeah, I like Durin's character. Actually, I probably have connected the most to the dwarf characters. Yeah, so far, but they're largely absent, really, in the last yeah, couple the episodes. Last, yeah. We do not see much of them at all. So I'm hoping when the, you know, the next season comes out, we're going to get more. I had, I struggled with the Harfoots at the beginning, which were, I guess, are yeah. morphing. Cause I didn't really understand that they're kind of going to, I mean, I knew that they were the Hobbit characters, but they're not Hobbits yet. They're like predecessors to Hobbits, yeah. which is what our son explained to me. Right. <laughs> Cause I was bothered by them at first because I love the Hobbits. Like they're yeah. such tidy English gentleman types or something, country uh-huh. folk, but you know, and these are kind of like wood sprites almost. Like they're, mm-hmm. you know, little dirty. I mean, they're cute. But always dirty, really. Yeah, they're always dirty and kind of hiding in bushes and whatnot. Instead of having their own established, homey, cozy aesthetic. Like yeah. you think of with the hobbits. Um, who, you know. Yeah, they're always they're nomads kind of. They yeah, are they are nomads. Always. They are. So that kind of had to grow on me. But I, I think I'm in a better place with them now. Um yeah. You know, I, I'm understanding them more and they are growing on me. So I have hopes for the future of this mm-hmm. series. I'm not as well versed in the Cimmerillion and the pre uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy stuff as our oldest son is. So mm-hmm. he's kind of stepping me through this. I've got to. But it's not completely based on that, right? It's this... not. It's loosely based on that. Yeah. And, you know, they're and taking I think they have own... several seasons in mind. Right. Yeah. This... They definitely want this to go on for them. So I thought the beginning was. Good. Like, if this is the beginning, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, they set uh, us up well. In that final episode, uh, again, no spoilers, but there's definitely some curveballs. You're like, yes, okay. Yes, for sure. Uh, but I agree. It would have been nice to have a better payoff for the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we're in a good starting place. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see where they're going to go next with it.
All right. So, as mentioned before, we are reviewing The Mummy from 1959. Well, I haven't said this in a while, so it feels strange to say it, but we are going to talk spoilers. So, if you don't like spoilers, hit pause, go watch the movie, and come back and join us later. Um, This is the age-old tale of the mummy, basically. We've got some uh, British archaeologists who defile an ancient Egyptian tomb of a, a princess, priestess, and her buried alive lover slash mummy comes back to life to haunt the people who defiled the tomb and wreak havoc on them. I mean, we've, we see this. It's the same mummy tale that you see in most mummy tales. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, it is, uh, depending on where you look, it's rated PG-13 or it's not rated at all. I would rate this Maybe not G because it's a monster, but it's definitely PG. It's yeah. very, um, and it, it is considered a horror movie, but it's um, not even horror light. It's almost more fantasy yeah. than it is horror, right? It's not scary. It's not yeah. scary at all. So, yeah. 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 If you're worried about it, you know, watching it with your kids, this is definitely one that is very safe. <laughs> yes. And it has a 91% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. So that's, that's pretty darn good. People like this one. People like The Mummy. So let me tell you a little bit about this mummy series. Please do. So Universal is the one that originated this. And if you remember the uh, original Universal classic monsters, yeah, Dracula, the creature from the Black Lagoon, Frankenstein. Well, the mummy is one of those originals. And the first film had Boris Karloff playing our mummy character. Uh, And then in several of the other films, Lon Chaney Jr. played Karis, who is also in this film. Yeah, this is that's our main mummy in this film, yeah. right? Karis. Karis. Karis, Karis. Something like that. And so that series ran from 32 to 55. Mm. Well, in 1959, that's when this movie came out, and it kicked off the first of four Hammer Horror films featuring the mummy. Okay. The common thread between all of the mummy films is the producer, Michael Carraris. He did all of them. He did all of them. He produced all of them. If you think of the magical run of Hammer Horror, he produced almost all of those films. Wow. And Blood from the Mummy's Tomb is the fourth one. We actually own that one. It's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Have I watched it? I don't know if you've watched it. (laughs) But I think I mentioned it because later on, I'll get to this in a second, but the 2017 Mummy with Tom Cruise where they had the female mummy character as the killer. Yeah. I think a lot of that was borrowed from Blood from the Mummies too. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then, of course, there is the one that our generation grew up on, mm-hmm. the Stephen Summers series that ran from 99 to 2008, and it included the Scorpion King spinoff series. Oh, yeah. So we had Brendan Fraser come, th- come through that series, right? Mm-hmm. And didn't The Rock? The Rock, yeah. yeah. He was the Scorpion King. That's right. So that had eight movies in total. Holy moly. Highly successful. Maybe, maybe we're good on mummy movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the fourth run, uh, they tried to... Then this is inspired by the whole Marvel series. Right. Everyone was wanting to build their own universe. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, you know, Universal, we have this whole backlog of you know great creatures. Yeah, these monsters, Universal these monsters. monsters. So they were going to build what they called the Dark Universe. Oh. And the movie that kicked it off was The Mummy from 2017. I did see that one. Yeah, I think that one fell flat. Yeah. Sales were really down, you know. Well, did they even do any more monster movies after that? No. Like that one did so poorly, they they dropped that dream. They dropped that dream. I mean, they decided, hey, uh, let's do The Invisible Man. And you and I saw that one. Oh, yes. So they went in a different direction. They abandoned the whole, uh, you know, shared universe idea. Oh, sad. 
It could have been fun. A few other mummy notes. I have to say one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes uh, ever Yes, is Mummy on the Orient Express from 2014. Yes, I do love that episode too. And that um, it kind of ties together two things for me. We've got a monster movie and we've got that whole Orient Express, which is kind of an Agatha Christie, Poirot yes. mashup, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that definitely scratched an itch for me. That was a good episode. A great looking mummy in that too. Yes, very good. And the, the story was intriguing, like the yeah. whole premise of why that mummy was there and how things were happening. Yeah. Uh, no one can see this mummy that yeah. shows up except for a person who's about to die. Uh-huh. And they have something like 88 seconds. It's some kind of yeah, random figure. It's a countdown. It's a countdown. And as soon as you see them, you have 88 seconds before he'll walk up to you and kill you. And so the doctor yeah. you know, from Doctor Who has to figure out why is this happening and try to stop it. That's a Peter Capaldi episode, right? Yeah. 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 Highly yeah. recommend that one. That's a good one. Then we also reviewed a film before with a mummy. Oh, Yeah. The Monster Squad. The Monster Squad. And remember, one of the things we thought was really cool, remember that uh, part of the film where the mummy becomes unraveled? Yeah. <laughs> They're on a truck, right? <laughs> yeah, Going down yeah. the road. It's like a chase scene type yeah. situation. Uh, so very cool mummy there. And then another film that we saw earlier this year, Tales from the Dark Side. Oh, forgot all about that. Remember, similar kind of thing as this. You know, they wake up a mummy. Kind of an Egyptologist thing going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Goes out and kills people for the the bad guy. Yep. They're reanimating these dead mummies to seek revenge. (laughs) Yeah. And it it usually works out badly for the person who's awakened the mummy in the end. Yes. Kind of a common theme. You know, and now that I think, I've never thought about this before, but you mentioned Invisible Man. He has a bit of a, not exactly, but just because he has to wrap himself up so that we know that he exists, he kind of has mm-hmm. a mummy quality about him too, right? Yeah, that's Not a good the point. new one. The new Invisible Man has real high-tech like yeah, yeah. skin coating scales. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was a cool story too. But anyhow, just in my mind, I had a moment of like, wait a minute. Yeah. Isn't the Invisible Man a bit mummy-like also? There is some overlap there. Not for the same reasons, just right. in look, really. Now, when was the first time you saw this movie? Um, I think this, this time that you and I just watched is the only time I've seen this version of the mummy. Mm -hmm. I've seen the Brendan Fraser, not all of that series. I've seen the first handful or few of that series, but this one, this is, this is the only watching I've had of it. Yeah. So you and I are in the same boat because we watched it for the first time together. Mm -hmm. Why don't we run through the cast real quick? All right. Well, uh, I just think it's fun that because this is, you know, hammer horror film, of course, we're using Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. So mm-hmm. top of the cast here, Peter Cushing is playing John Banning. Um, Christopher Lee is Karis or Karis the mummy. Um, and of course, we've seen them a hundred times over and all these other Dracula yeah. and whatever. Um, Yvonne Furneaux is Isabel Banning, the wife of Peter Cushing. And she also plays the ancient princess Ananka. Yeah. You know, the the tomb that was defiled, basically. And I guess their resemblance is purely coincidental. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. There was no actual connection. Yeah. But that's, it gets a little muddy, right? Because so many of these older Dracula movies, there's a tie in where, and other monster movies where someone's seeking revenge because of so and so's ancestor Mm -hmm. is still alive who murdered them back in the 16th century, you know, whatever. Right. And the same actor or actress is playing the descendant. (laughs) 
Yeah. Whereas this is not an actual descendant, but it, she just happens to look exactly like the deceased right. Egyptian princess. Especially so. when she puts her hair down. Yeah, when that she was... lets, that's the thing. You got to let your hair down to trick the mummy, <laughs> right? Um, all right, so Eddie Byrne as Inspector Mulroney, Mulrooney. I, that's mm-hmm. probably an Irish name. I'm ter- I'm messing up terribly. Um, he's an Irish actor. Um, his voice to me sounded like Herman Munster. He started yeah. talking. I was like, why does his voice sound familiar? And then I realized, oh, he sounds like Herman Munster, but I guess there's no <laughs> connection there. Um, Felix Aylmer, I'm probably butchering these names, as Stephen Banning. He was the dad of our archaeologist that Peter Cushing, Cushing's playing, um, dies earlier on in the movie. Yep. Uh, Raymond Huntley plays Joseph Wimple. He's an uncle that, you know, is trying to help the archaeologist not make mm-hmm. real stupid decisions. Right. They don't listen to him. And then our final kind of main character here is George Pastel as Mehmet Bey. Yes. And we looked him up because he looked like he actually could be Egyptian versus yeah, a lot of did. the other actors. Uh, but he's from Cyprus originally. Hmm. Uh, I saw that he died in Dade County, Florida, though. Oh, that's very near to home. Yeah. I have to say a lot of these actors and actresses I didn't recognize from other movies. Mm -hmm. But obviously the stars here are Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Yeah. And so we've covered their filmography quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I did watch a few videos, though, of Christopher Lee talking about Peter Cushing or Peter Cushing talking about Christopher Lee. They were very dear friends. Oh, good. So you think of... They play uh, enemies in everything. Yeah, they're always opposite each other. <laughs> yeah. It feels like they never team up and t- you know battle a bad guy together. Right. <clears throat> uh, but it, it was great because you think of them as being adversaries, but in real life, I guess because Hammer was taking off mm. and is largely on their shoulders yeah. in these films. I mean, they carried they all of these films. And so they, you know they were in so many movies together. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of cool. They kind of like grew up in the acting ranks together. That's cool. Yeah. I, I was hoping you weren't about to tell me that they actually hated each other in no. real life or something. No, <laughs> I'm no. I'm glad that they were friends. Let's go ahead and roll into our standouts portion. This is where we talk about parts of the films that we really liked. Mm -hmm. And I'll get us started. I would have to say The Direction by Terrence Fisher. He's our director. You know, he ushered in uh, the hammer horror look. Mm -hmm. You know, you had The Curse of Frankenstein, The Horror of Dracula, and The Mummy. These are the first three uh, real biggies here. That look... That uh, gorgeous eye-popping color that you see. Right. What a great combination of these beautiful matte paintings with gorgeous set pieces. Yeah. And there's always fog somewhere. They had good fog fog machines. (laughs) Maybe they were using dry ice back then. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, it it always just looks so good. You know, and I think it's because the last 15 years, so many movies suck colors out. Yeah. You know, they try to give you like a... You know, they were just remove colors and yeah, make things like so dark. Yeah, like a sepia almost, or mm-hmm. even grayer than that, really. Uh, he also always has these definitive good versus evil themes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think what we've become crazed about in the last 15, 20 years has been, like, nobody's really that good, yeah. nobody's really that bad. You're really into the anti-hero thing. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the dramatic orchestral scores that they have. You know, these big 
punches when mm-hmm. things are happening or when there's action, it's like, there's the horn section, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was surprised that the music was done by Franz uh, Reisenstein and not James Bernard. Oh, that's right. We've seen Bernard's name pop up a lot. I couldn't really find out why they did that switch out. Maybe it was on vacation. <clears throat> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it was really, for this film, everybody get out of the way. It is really Peter Cushing against Christopher Lee. Oh, yeah. That's at the heart of it. That's this. the focus. What about you? Did you have any standouts? Well, I really liked this mummy. Mm-hmm. Um, his look. Like, he's... I don't I think you're used to, I mean, obviously mummies are usually coming out of the desert because they're coming out of an Egyptian, you know, themed thing. And mm-hmm. so they're dry and crusty and dusty. And this guy, because he gets shipped to England and then his crate actually accidentally gets dropped into a bog, uh-huh. he comes out wet and it's almost like a mesh between a swamp thing yeah. and a mummy because he comes out wet and goopy and drippy and he looks dirty and gross and like he's been dead for thousands of years. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just a different take. Like it yeah. was like if the mummy's going to be in England, he should be a little wet and sticky and whatever. Yeah. Like the English climate. Right. So, um, so, and another interesting thing about him is when you first, when his handler, uh, whatever that guy's name was, Mehmet Bey, when he wakes him up mm-hmm. or, you know, calls him out by using his curse or whatever it right. is, he, the mummy seems slow to react. And he, he clearly has kind of a wind up period where, <laughs> you know, he's just kind of mechanical moving, even though, you know, it's a human in the costume, right? Yeah. Um, but he's very good at seeming stiff, like he's been stuck in a coffin or something for thousands of years. Mm. But then we have this, like, when it's time for him to go into action, he's all of a sudden very strong. And not fast in a weird, like, 2000s-era zombie movie where they're just, like, creepy. <laughs> you know that zombie thing? Like I Am Legend. Yeah, they, like, right. I can't stand that. But he's... But there is a transition from like, oh, I'm awake now and I'm here to do business. And he's yeah. like ripping iron bars off of windows and shattering glass. <laughs> and then he, he has no weapons and he has no magical powers. He literally just strangles people to death. That's yeah. his weapon of choice. So he's very, and you know, um, what's his name? Christopher Lee is a tall guy. So yeah. he has an imposing presence. And I don't know if they filmed this in a certain way or made him wear platform shoes or something to make him mm-hmm. feel. Because he does look even... Even bigger. Taller than he normally does look uh, and larger. So I'm not sure how they accomplished that, but it was effective. And um, he he's just strong. He's like a very strong, yeah. physically strong character. Yeah. No, I agree. The way he bursts through doors and just Oh, appears, yeah. Doors explode. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where your PG comes from, that and the, the chokings. Because yeah. You know, there is a little bit of, oh, oh no, what's going to happen? Right. You do see a mummy strangle two people in the movie. So there's your PG clu- rating. He clubs a cop, I think, on the back of the head with something. Oh, Maybe yeah. his hand. I don't know. He kills a, a cop in the later in the movie. I forgot about that. But um, so one more standout. I have to just say Peter Cushing. And I've mentioned this in the past, but I just love how he acts. I mean, I think... He is so devoted to the role. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's fully believable in whatever he's doing. And in this, he's so good at playing this brilliant, commanding presence. Right. And kind of headstrong, because early on, remember, he had uh, broken his leg. Yeah, and, and he was not going to go have it taken care of. <laughs> yeah, and so he limps for the rest of his life. Yeah. 
And you're seeing the, the progression as he's healing. For a while, he's using a cane and mm-hmm. he's taking these big wide steps. Well, then they fast forward a few years. Right. And he's still limping, but it's he's not with a cane anymore. Right. You know, he's really believable in how he's changes his mind about the monster, the mummy. Oh, yeah. Because initially he's like, ah, that's hogwash, right? Right. But then as he's putting things together and, you know, these deaths are happening, Mm -hmm. you know, him becoming convinced that I think this might be real. Right. And then, of course, the mummy shows up and kills his (laughs) uncle in front of him. There's no denying it. (laughs) Uh, And then one thing I've always loved about Peter Cushing, when he's in physical combat, Mm -hmm. he sells that action really well. Right. And I think it's because most of the time he looks intellectual. Right, right. And then suddenly he's having a fisticuffs with a mummy <laughs> <laughs> and he's losing very badly, right? Like right. he's getting strangled. And there's the, uh, the way he sells it is like just fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, he's about to get his throat crushed. You right. Know? Uh, of course, he's saved two times by his, his wife with her hair down looking like the... Uh, the Egyptian the princess. princess that yes. this mummy served in his lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So a question for you. So Peter Cushing's personality here, he's a good guy. And he's a good guy in the horror of Dracula, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also a bad guy as Dr. Frankenstein hmm. and in the Twins of Evil that we watched. Um, <laughs> he's the uncle who puts these uh, young women, you know, burns them at the stake. Yeah. Calling them witches, right? Uh, not to mention in Star Wars, he's a bad guy in Star Wars, <laughs> yep. right? His personality doesn't change all that much from when he's playing a good guy versus a bad guy. It's just the decisions he's making. Right. So my question to you, why is it that this personality can be so convincing as a good guy, but also can be convincing as a bad guy? That's interesting. I don't know. Why is it? I, I will say there's nothing flamboyant about him. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he's a pretty stoic guy. Yeah. Serious. And so maybe it's he never pigeonholes himself. Mm-hmm. Never paints himself into a corner as to one way or the other because he kind of rides that line of like he's serious, he's stoic. Is he gonna snap and be a bad guy? Or is he just serious and stoic because he's the guy who's gonna do the right thing? Right. You know, like there's no big swings one direction or the other. Right. So he can he can kind of tiptoe on either side of that line, maybe? I, yeah. I don't know. I'm just shooting from the hip here. But Yeah. Well, what you said makes sense. It, it makes me think that he gets in this mindset of whatever decisions he's making are the right decisions. Ah. You know, so Dr. Frankenstein, you know, he has a, you know, a nobility of what he's trying to achieve mm-hmm. by... You know, maybe killing a person here and there, stealing bodies, right? Trying to do this, but he's thing. committed to that idea that this is what needs to happen, right? Same thing as in Twins of Evil, he's burning these young ladies at the stake. It's because he thinks they're evil. They've done something yeah. wrong, and he's like this Puritan guy, and right? He's and got he thinks, a, this is the right thing. This is the thing we have to do. Yeah, I got to rid the world of this evil. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's doing awful things, exactly. Like the. He seems convinced, like, there's a justification for his actions. Yeah. Regardless of whether they fall on the side of good or evil. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Just interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's talk about setbacks for a second. All right, so I have a setback 
there was, I, I'm not normally one to really stomp on, you know, exposition in a movie because mm-hmm. I, I like a little bit of storytelling, especially if it keeps us on track. But there's like a chunk in the middle of this movie where we actually go back and retell things that we've already seen at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. So we already know from like the flashback opening of the movie what's happened for them to end up with this mummy, how the mummy gets to England, you know, why the mummy is a mummy and all of that. But then when Peter Cushing's character needs to explain all of this, I think it's to the police constable. Yeah, the, yeah. Right? Like he, we don't just understand that Peter Cushing is telling this to the police constable. They literally show all of that montage again of like the day his father <laughs> found the mummy in the tomb and yeah. all the things that happened to get it back to England. Like we saw that portion of the movie two times in this movie. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. was annoying to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like they were trying to pad the film time or something. Yeah, maybe that was it. Uh, it was it was backstory we we didn't need as a viewer. We had literally already seen that, so yeah. there there should have been a way for him to you know fast forward a little, like, and we could just understand that he explained all of this. Yeah. to the policeman. Yeah, I agree. That did bother me too. It's like, come on, we're going to do this again. Yeah, <laughs> we know this already. Uh, another setback I'll mention: the mummy love story. Uh, is only believable to us because they told us. Oh, Meaning right. we didn't see uh, we didn't see Karis and the princess in love. Right. We didn't see them interact. We didn't see her even maybe it was one sided, right? Where mm-hmm. he loved her, she didn't love him back. We don't really know how that love story was, except for they just said Karis was deeply in love with her. Right. And, you know, they just told us during well, the exposition And the reason phase. Karis has to become a mummy, right, is because he was, they literally told us he was in love with her and he tried to bring her back to life yeah. when she died. And that was like an unforgivable thing. So yeah. he was cursed to be a mummy and stare at her in her tomb for eternity. Right. 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 But you're right. There was never any, we never saw kind of behind the scenes footage of like him being in love with her or there being, was it unrequited or not? I don't know. Right. We don't know. We and you think of this film, so much hinges on their love because <laughs> Christopher Lee's character, you know, of course he commits the heresy, right? Which invo- results in his death. Right. Uh, he uh, got distracted twice from killing Peter Cushing's character because this, you know, this woman looks exactly like the woman right. he loved. Cushing's wife looks like the the dead princess that he's... So it's not necessarily like it hinges on their love, but it at least hinges on his infatuation with her. Yeah. But you're right. We got very little Or even obsession, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Obsession, infatuation, something. It ultimately led him to killing his master. That's right. Because his master wants him to kill Cushing's wife. Right. Isabel. He says, kill her, kill her. And And he won't do it. Then he's decided to go in and start to kill her. And that's when the mummy stopped him and kills him. That's right. Uh, so I think I would have liked to have seen some sort of chemistry between these two. Like, you know, I want to see uh, like this relationship that I'm going to be invested in or right. understand, oh, okay, this is so strong. Mm-hmm. That's why he has this major weakness. Right. Because he loves her so much. Yeah. So I think that would have helped. And then, you know, one last setback I'll mention is the predictability a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You and I were talking before the movie and we're like, well, we figure this will probably result in the mummy coming in, grabbing some lady, carrying yeah. her off, 
the hero chasing her down, right? Somehow getting her away from the monster, and then like whoever the townspeople, right? Killing or subduing the monsters. Well, you know, early on, there's one female lead, not even a lead. She can't be considered a lead, really. I think she has like three lines in the whole movie, right? But there's only one beautiful female in the whole thing and a monster. So, of course, the monster's going to haul her off at some point and she's yeah. going to need to be rescued. So, <laughs> yep. And, and all and of those it things happened happened. just like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Now's the time in which we say our final summations of the film and give it a yay or a nay. Uh, And before I give my vote there, I'll have to say I did watch in one of those YouTube videos I mentioned, Peter Cushing did not like to think of these early Hammer horror movies as horror. And as you stated earlier on in this episode, he liked to view this as fantasy. Yeah. You know, kind of the impossible becoming possible, the unreal becoming real. And I will have to say, if you're hoping for a really scary movie, you know, that's going to keep you up at night, biting your fingernails, this isn't that film. This is not it. I would have to say, this is for me a big yay, but it's only in the context of watching it as a fantasy film. Yeah. So very similar to watching like a Ray Harryhausen film. Yeah. That's how you have to look at this, I think. Uh, yeah. With modern eyes, if you're watching this movie, like I want to sit down and I want to watch a Halloween it's type kind of movie. Fantasy action. Fantasy action, yeah. Yeah. So that's how that. I'd look at this. I do think it's a good Halloween movie, you know, like you oh, could yeah. pop it on and have in the background, like we've talked about Halloween party movies. Yes. This is one that could be played. Chop Shop movies. Yeah, Chop one Shop of our movies. Favorite yeah. <laughs> eateries. Yes. They're, they would have something like this. They could have the something like this and it would work great, you know. Yes. So for me, it's a yay. What about you? Yeah, I second that. It's a yay for me. As we know, I'm not <laughs> a huge horror fan anyhow. I get scared quite easily. In fact, with it being October, you recently went to a, was it a haunted something? Yeah, it was like haunted houses. Uh, um, Screamageddon. Yeah, it's a local thing. It's not one of the big like Halloween Horror Nights or something like that. But um, I get asked every year if I would like to join Jeffrey on those ventures, and I turn them turn him down every year because I'm not into that. But this I like. This is a classic monster. It's got just a tinge of you know creep, but not really creepiness. There's just mm-hmm. kind of a you know kind of a fun Halloween vibe to it yeah. as a monster movie. It's a fantasy monster movie, and and yeah, it's a yay for me. It's a, it's just a fun watch. We had a couple comments on this film on our Instagram. Robot 13 says, it's pretty fantastic. Love Christopher Lee's take on the mummy so much. (laughs) Agreed. Yep. Then Ken's alternate universe posted, I enjoyed it. Cushing is always amazing. Yep. I think you could tell, like, I agree with you there too. (laughs) For sure. All right. This is the part where we normally talk about what are we watching next, but we're not watching anything next. Well, that's not true. We will definitely be watching things. But we are wrapping up our season two with our Attackies Award Show in two weeks. So come back and join us in two weeks. It's exactly what it sounds like. We have interesting, some crazy, some normal categories for awards. (laughs) 
uh, which will cover the movies that we have discussed and reviewed throughout season two. So um, if you're curious what that might sound like, go back to season one and listen to the end of season one. We did the attackies at the end of season one last time and it was fun for us. Hopefully it was fun for you. So we're going to do it again and cover the movies, the actors, the actresses, the settings, all the fun things uh, that we've reviewed in this season, in season two. And then we're going to take a break for a little while because life is happening very fast around here. We'll take a break through the holidays and uh, yeah, we just really appreciate you listening through season two, and we're excited to do the awards show. It's always fun. We like to review what we've reviewed. Yes, what- <laughs> it's a good time. And I did. I think last season, didn't you kind of wind people up on Instagram, drop some hints yeah. as to who was going to be in our different categories? So. I did. So I visit did. us on Instagram. Jeff will probably get on that here shortly. So. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great week. Enjoy your movies, guys. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out.